May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing to you. You are our strength. You are our redeemer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So I have a question for you guys. Have you ever, have you ever uh, started something that, that took on a life of its own apart from you? Uh, I kind of think of uh, teaching my kids to ride a bike. Hey, parents, you'll, you'll get this illustration, I think. So you spend all this time investing in your kid's ability to ride a bike, right? Like you, you run along. I mean, after they get off the training wheels or whatever, you decide it's time. You spend hours and hours running beside them, right? Running behind them, um, pushing them, watching them fall over, bandaging up their scraped knee, whatever. Uh, but you spend so much time doing this, investing into this process. And one day, you finally do that final push. And you never know when the final push is going to be. But you've, it's finally the last one. And they take off pedaling. And all of a sudden, all, everything that you have kind of poured into that person now is, is being made manifest. It's, it's taking on a life of its own. And now this whole new world is, is opened up to this child, right? You remember that whole new world that opened up to you when you first uh, figured out how to ride a bike and you could go these places and, and, uh, and go fast, right? Um, and, you know, in, in my family, I mean, this is something that goes back uh, generations, right? Like my dad, I, I got taught my kids how to ride a bike or uh, at least I tried to. Jensen kind of figured it out on his own. Um, you know, but, but, but I try to teach my kids how to ride a bike. My dad taught me how to ride a bike. His dad taught him how to ride a bike. I bet his dad taught him how to ride a bike. There, there's something similar happening here in uh, this first chapter of Colossians. So uh, the, the, uh, the gospel has come to this church at Colossae. And you know what? Um, Paul did not plant this church, right? He, he did not plant all the churches that he wrote letters to. He, didn't, he had never actually physically been to this church, but he was responsible for bringing the gospel word to this part of the world, okay? And so what he is seeing is that, that, that Paul is full of joy, even though, by the way, he's writing from prison in this letter. He is so full of joy. When you read this, when you go home later, and, I, and, and I, it's a short book, so I recommend just reading through the whole thing in about 20 minutes when you have time uh, later this afternoon or some other time this week. You will see that he is just bursting with joy. This guy is in prison. He's bursting with joy because he is seeing that the gospel message that he brought to this part of the world has a life of its own. That this gospel message is producing fruit in this community and they are off and running and and it has opened up a whole new world to them in fact we might even say this it's opened up a whole new kingdom to them and this is huge because think about it uh, Paul talks about this in terms of fruit bearing fruit as human beings we always try to produce fruit from something other than the gospel message this is part of, of our tendencies as human beings. The, the intentions might even be really good, but we often try to produce all sorts of things. Things like church attendance, 
I'm just speaking as a pastor here. Things like church attendance, things like uh, thriving volunteer programs, things like community impact, things like good reputation, and so on. We, we try to produce those things in our own power, in our own energy. And here's the really kind of dangerous thing about that. All those things I listed, these are things that in many respects we actually do have the power to do. So uh, human beings are really good at figuring out ways to draw a crowd. Human beings are really good at rallying people behind a cause. Human beings are actually really good at making a tangible, positive difference in the world. Human beings are really good at uh, getting other people to think highly of them. But none of this is actually the fruit that Paul wants to see produced in his people. None of this is the ultimate fruit that we're meant to bear. See, as long as we are focused on what we can accomplish, we will miss out what God has accomplished. We're not meant to produce the fruit. We're meant to bear the fruit is, is uh, one way I've heard of, of, of this before, right? The problem with what we said before, what I've been talking about, is that this is all stuff that we're producing. But we don't want to be talking about what we can accomplish. We want to be talking about what God has accomplished. We always thank God. This is Paul speaking. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. See, what excites St. Paul about the church at Colossae, Colossae, excuse me, isn't high church attendance numbers or amazing community outreach programs. And it's not that we, he would have complained about those things in and of themselves, okay? But this is the thing. First and foremost, what he is excited about is their faith. It's their faith, their trust in Jesus, and what naturally flows out of that, their love for all the saints, which means the whole church. It means their local community, and it means the rest. They loved Paul. They obviously had this, this, this relationship at a distance with Paul, even though he wasn't part of their community. They loved the whole church. They loved this guy that used to persecute the church. Of this you have heard before, in the word of truth. So he's talking about all this awesome stuff. He's saying uh, uh, this, this hope, this love. You've heard about this in the word of truth, in the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Again, what does he come back to? Love in the Spirit. That's the principal fruit. And do you notice in this passage that it is the gospel message itself that that makes it possible, right? Um, You've heard about it in the gospel, right? They were taught it in the gospel. It's the gospel that is increasing, what was Epaphras? He was, he was a great guy, clearly. Um, but what did he minister to these people? He ministered Christ. He was a minister of Christ. He brought them the gospel, nothing from himself. Right? It's not their own ideas. It's not their 
program. It's not even something that their minister implemented for them. It is simply the faithful proclamation of, this is what Paul says, the grace of God in truth. Grace in truth. The message itself has the power to transform and to liberate. And this is why, because it's true. Truth is about ultimate reality. We've talked about this before. Uh, Truth is about ultimate reality. And so the more that our minds and hearts are actually aligned with ultimate reality of truth, the more we're able to flourish. It's it's when we go against ultimate reality, it's when we bump up against the walls of of, of what is uh, uh, true um, and buy into deception that we begin to sin, right? All sin, right, came from what? The, The deception, right? This false idea that we can, we can live apart from the goodness and presence of God. So, from this day we've heard, he says, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. So they can grow in the gospel. You see, you see what he's praying. He, they already know the gospel. It's already bearing fruit. He's asking that they grow in even greater understanding of this and get this so that they can, what's the reason? So they can walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Worthy of the Lord. Okay, we're talking about um, uh, worship, the idea of, uh, of, of something being worthy of worship. Uh, to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord means uh, to walk in a way that is worshipful of Him, that is like Him, that's like Jesus, okay? Get this. Grow in the gospel so you can walk in a manner that is worthy of the Lord and that is fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit now in every good work. And increasing in the knowledge of God. And we're going to go on here being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Bearing fruit in every good work. That means every good work is infused with that good fruit of love for one another. You can do a lot of good work, but it not be fruitful in that way. And this is what the gospel equips us to do. See, once you are persuaded in your heart and in your mind that these things, God is love, that Jesus is the Lord, that the Spirit is here among us, and this is key, and you submit to that truth, like you believe it and you submit to it, so you start living in light of it, you become open to a whole new way of life, a whole new way of being. And that's what Paul is describing. If you remain open to living in accordance with the truth, your life naturally, and I would even say necessarily, changes as you deepen in your knowledge of the truth of who God is and what he has done. According to what we just read, knowing God and his will. Knowing God and his will is what allows us to bear fruit. And again, the bearing fruit is to truly love. It's knowing God and his will that allows us to truly love one another as we do 
good work. It's knowing God and his will that gives us strength when the going gets tough, right? It, it's, we're being strengthened, he says, with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. It's knowing God and his will that allows us not just to wait with kind of gritted teeth until the pain is over, but to have patience with joy through every trial. It's really easy to fall into bitterness when we encounter trial after trial, isn't it? I mean, when you just get hit with one thing after the other. In fact, it's it's inevitable that you're going to fall into bitterness and despair unless you're continually coming back, reminding yourself and growing in this gospel message. Paul could have been really bitter. He spent his last days in prison. He was isolated from all these people that he loved, that he desperately, I mean, when you read his letters, you just know he desperately wants to be with these people. And, and yet he writes that he has not ceased to pray and give thanks. Why? Because he knows God and his will. Because he knows the gospel. And he knows that the, the chains that hold him down cannot hold down the gospel. Paul knows that what God has done for the church at Colossae and for him means that his current situation is not his final destination. It means that he can cultivate a real communion, a real relationship with this people, even at a distance, because he has a real relationship with the Father because of Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit, which they share by virtue of their baptism. And so you see that, that his situation cannot keep the gospel from bearing fruit. It cannot keep, cannot keep people from loving one another. It cannot keep the kingdom from being made manifest among the people of God. Brothers and sisters, so if you believe the gospel, see, your current situation, no matter what it is right now, is not your final destination either. There are good things in store for you. There uh, are, 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 are good things... That, are, that have an eternal quality that no one can take away from you because of the gospel. And it's not because of anything you've done, but God has given you grace to hear the truth of the good news. And, and here's how I want to frame the good news right now. It's good news that you are not Lord of your own life. <laughs> okay, well, that landed. That's great. Uh, your, your circumstances are not Lord of your, your life. Your mistakes are not Lord of your life. Your limited successes are not Lord of your life. What other people think of you is not Lord of your life. Your boss is not Lord of your life. Listen to this, your political party or president. Or thank God your pastor is not Lord of your life. You've been, you've been given grace to hear this good news, this truth, this gospel, that Jesus is Lord of your life, and he's Lord of all. He's Lord of your life, and he's Lord of all. And, and get this, you can have a communion with Christ that is literally the source of life for you, and no one can take that away. It can be cultivated and it can be deepened. We all tend towards selfish attitudes, actions, affections. And so 
we, we tend towards rejecting Jesus. We tend, toward, we tend towards rejecting the good news, the gospel. Um, and so we don't deserve him. Uh, it would be a mistake for us to think that any of us deserves to have uh, someone like Jesus, that loving kind of Lord, someone that would actually die in our place on a cross because of our sins. But that's exactly what he did. And, and none of us deserve to be recipients of, of the kind of love that is so perfect that it would conquer death itself. But the good news here is that the love of Christ was so perfect that even death could not defeat it. And it extends to even people that do not deserve it. It is so perfect. And get this. Then Jesus gives us as he's been raised from the dead, he gives us his spirit now so that we can share in that same kind of death-defying love. Like, we get that. None of us are qualified to have that. None of us are qualified to have Jesus. But when we believe in Jesus, and listen, uh, there, there are so many ways of, different, of, of talking about the gospel. That's what this whole book is about. So you're going to hear me frame the gospel in a lot of different ways as we, as we move through this together. But I think that the purest form of the gospel is, in fact, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the gospel. Jesus is the uh, enfleshment of the good word of God. And when we believe in him then, he's the gospel, when we believe in Jesus, all that changes. We're not qualified, but God the Father qualifies us. And this is why Paul is so full of thanks. He says, giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Before we believed, we couldn't please God. We talk about this, we go over the 39 articles, we talk about, we can do good works, no doubt. But we can't do good works that please God in the ultimate sense. And that's because we have to be thankful to God before it can bear the fruit of love for one another. And that's what pleases God. So when we truly trust Him, we can finally do good works that are bearing fruit in love and that can please God because we're coming at it with gratitude because we're coming at it saying thank you God for what you have done for me in Jesus and that changes the character of everything that we do from that point on we live a life of thanks actually to the father for initiating and accomplishing his redeeming work and that's why thankfulness is just saturating this first portion of the letter. In fact, by the way, that's what we're doing here this morning. That is why our worship together in the, in the tradition of the church has always been structured in a, in a mode of thanksgiving. That, that when we come here, we call it even Eucharist, which means thanksgiving in Greek. We offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving and praise. Sometimes we, we want to 
shy away from any talk of sacrifice here on Sunday mornings because we don't want to give the idea that we're re-sacrificing Christ uh, here at this table. Because his sacrifice was a once-for-all sacrifice. In fact, we say that in our liturgy. He's been sacrificed once for all. But do you know what? All that we have to offer God is not even our sacrifice, but Christ's sacrifice. And so that's what we do here. We offer that to God. We offer Christ's sacrifice to God. And we say, we are falling on Christ. Thank you that we can be assured. What do we say? Thank you for assuring us in these holy mysteries that we are living members of your son, Jesus Christ. So we come at it with thanksgiving a sacrifice of thanksgiving. And what we offer is our bodies, right? We offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, thanksgiving and praise. And in this moment, then we invite and allow God to energize us and express that attitude of gratitude and service to him and love for our neighbors. And so now our good works are infused by the gospel, infused by love for one another. And all of that comes from the Holy Spirit. That's the inheritance that Paul is talking about. Of course, he's talking about eternal life with God. Absolutely. That is our ultimate inheritance, eternal life with God. But brothers and sisters, the character of that eternal life that we are going to share with God breaks into the present and it is available to us right now. That's what that love is about. And we're not going to express it perfectly, of course, okay? Nobody's up here preaching any kind of perfection. But we can still experience it in a significant way. When we receive Jesus as our Lord and our Savior, and we approach him with gratitude, we necessarily begin to bear that fruit of love for one another. And brothers and sisters, that is what manifests the kingdom that we are now under. So the kingdom of God has come near. Do you remember last week that the the disciples, when they went out, to preach, they were to tell the people that the kingdom of God has been near. So the kingdom of God is not just something that happens in the future, but it's something that breaks into the present. That love is what manifests that right now. So this is why he says in the past tense, this last sentence, verses 13 and 14, a majestic sentence. He has, he has, past tense, he has, God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins that's been accomplished brothers and sisters so we can live in light of that right now i was taught by father john the founding pastor of our church when i was coming to this anglican tradition uh one of the weird things for me was the sign of the cross i'm like what is that seems creepy um, but he taught me, um, he, he is so good at this. And I, I want to learn more from, from Father John in, in this way, because he would always uh, uh, teach me not by, not by like laying out a bunch of principles to begin with, but to say, well, this is what this means when I do it. And, and, uh, and so he, this is, he taught me this. He said, he said um, when I cross myself, Nathan, um, I always pray this prayer. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. And that's what that means when you cross yourself. You're reminding yourself of that truth. 
And so that's one way that, that to this day, I mean, that's been nearly 10 years ago now, but this is one way that I seek to continually be filled with the knowledge of his will, as it were, is by making the sign of the cross. I'm not saying you have to. I'm just sharing a little bit of my experience. When I am discouraged, it is so good to be reminded that his will for me, that God's will for me is to be safe and secure in the kingdom of Christ. And by the way, that's been definitively accomplished by the cross of Christ. And so that's something that you can pray and believe and live in right now. I am safe and secure in the kingdom of Christ. It's been done. That's worth meditating on in prayer. That's worth growing in the knowledge of. Um, and, and the kind of growth in the knowledge of the gospel isn't just information, right? You know how you, you, you can know that you're in the kingdom of God, and then you can know that you're in the kingdom of God. Does that make sense? <laughs> and you, you grow into that conviction. You grow into that knowledge and that, that ignites that gratitude and that ignites that love that we have for one another. I am, I am really glad to be spending the next several weeks walking through these passages in Colossians because it is such a beautiful and direct expression of the necessity of the gospel. We sang today, uh, uh, what do we say? Uh, he is all we need. That line in that song. Now that's something we all know, I believe in this room, as I'm looking at, we all know that he's all we need. But we can grow in the knowledge of that and the conviction of that, that Jesus is all we need. This book of Colossians underscores that over and over again, the supremacy of Christ over everything, the uniqueness of Christ. And it's our desire here at DMAC, I think, to be gospel-focused and Christ-centered in everything we do. And so I believe, and I, I know that God has a word for us through the words of Paul to the Colossians. And I hope you have begun to hear that word of the Lord today. So as we embark on this journey together, and it, is, it will be a, a journey, may each of us and all of us have fresh ears to hear that gospel message. That good news of what God has done for us in Christ, that he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. And may we allow it to produce in us the fruit of love that comes from the knowledge of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Please stand with me.